All right, B&B fans, here we are live for episode four, Business and Buckets. Obviously, a stack show to talk about. Talking about the AFC and NFC championships, a little bit of Super Bowl preview, diving into uh, the big, massive UFC 257 fight card, college basketball, hot stove, Supercross, and more. Um, another reminder that I'm also, as this is launching, launching the first episode of the business side of business and po- uh, business and buckets podcast. Uh, really diving in and interviewing entrepreneurs and other successful business individuals so they can tell their story, some of the things that they've gone through to be successful, uh, and hopefully be able to inspire and give you guys some you know, helpful information to be successful in your professional careers as well. And maybe you find someone that's in a certain career path that uh, might be something that you want to uh, change career paths and head on that path, or maybe you're just not happy with what you're doing and want to get uh, other skill sets for your resume uh, to help with your professional career. But this is episode four, uh, sponsored by Field Supplements. Health is wealth. Keep your immune system strong, reduce cortisol, detoxify your body on a cellular level, and relieve chronic joint pain but also increase your overall energy vitality with Fueled Supplements wellness products. Fueled Multivitamins and Fueled Greens is the immunity combo your body needs to be and stay at your best, especially through these times, additional COVID strains, you name it. Uh, You can always make more money, but you can't always get back your health. So start today and save a little cash when you invest in yourself and your future by using code BUCKETS for 20% off at FueledSupplements.com. We'll have the info in the link. Uh, the best place on the web for sports and wellness products, local shop um, based out of Montana with Josh Morn and crew. Can't say enough about their uh, what they're doing, so uh, support them with discount code BUCKETS to get you 20% off. But let's kick it off. Um, when I upload these to YouTube, I did want to let everybody know I know I've gotten some feedback that I, I cover a variety and a wide range of sports. You know, maybe you're not into Supercross, but you really want to hear what I have to say about the NBA and college basketball. You know, whatever the different variations are and what's relevant into sports today, I do mark the videos on YouTube so you guys can see what I'm talking about and when. So maybe you just want to hear the NFL and, you know, not so much about the Supercross. I will have those broken down for you on the YouTube channel. I don't have a way of doing that for uh, those of you that are just listening uh, through you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. But on the video side, if you, if you want to be able just to look at that and dive into there, I do have those channel markers broken down. But let's talk some football. Um, Buccaneers versus Packers. Last week, we got Breeze and Brady. What a time to be alive. Now we got discount double check, Mr. Rogers and Brady. As I talked about, I picked the... Packers in this one, uh, Go Pack Go. Wasn't much of Go Pack Go as the the Packers really just beat themselves down. I mean, this was an opportunity for Rodgers to beat the GOAT in the playoffs. You know, him being on the AFC side of the ball, that was never really an opportunity. So I'm sure he was foaming at the mouth for this opportunity. Just another uh, benchmark in his resume, another benchmark on his belt, you name it. Uh, but Brady had three interceptions. And uh, Tampa was outpossessed by the Packers by a whopping nine minutes and some change. And they still found a way to win the football game. Uh, poor people, I feel like, would normally put the blame on Rodgers. Uh, but the discount double check was 33 for 48 and 346 yards and three touchdowns. So he did perform well. There was a few instances. I mean, it's football. 
can't do everything perfect. Uh, or one attempt in the red zone, he had wide open path to run the ball in and uh, ended up throwing it to Devontae Adams' way. Um, but hey, I mean, great performance by Rodgers. I don't think you can really you know, knock him on this game, but we will <laughs> talk about some of the people that you can definitely knock. Um, no run game from either team. My theme has been run game and defense. Uh, not a lot of run game here. Some pretty good defense on both sides of the ball. Uh, but I mean, you know, let's call it what it is. The teams that are performing now have such a high level offensive performance with passing the ball that the run game is almost second nature. Uh, but when we talk about how to beat these teams, uh, a big thing that I will repeat is being able to run the ball and keep them off the field and have a great defense to pressure the quarterbacks because we're witnessing amazing quarterbacks at this time in the playoffs. Uh, like I said last week, being able to see Breeze um, and this week being able to see uh, on the NFC side, Mr. Rogers and the GOAT Tom Brady himself. Some offensive performances, we had Chris Godwin with five receptions for 110 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Michael Vantes scantling MVS, four for 115 yards and a touchdown. Uh, One guy that I wouldn't have expected to go over 100. I'm sure if you guys had prop bets down on there and put the money on the line, uh, that was some big payouts. Um, Devontae Adams, nine catches for 67 yards. And a touchdown, pretty consistent line uh, the past couple weeks, hitting over 60 yards, um, you know, dang near double-digit catches. Obviously, he's going to be a big uh, part of the game plan and somebody that Rodgers looks to. And then also, Alan Lazard, just living off the play action, three catches for 62 yards. Mike Evans was still a part of it, even though he wasn't healthy. He had three catches for 51 yards and a very big touchdown in that game. And also, the the awesome fourth-down conversion, big play to Scotty Miller, um, burning Kevin King to the end zone, uh, man with six, three speed. You can't have him one-on-one like that and, and be able to expect to keep pace with them. So, uh, broken coverage there. Don't know why the hell they called that play. Uh, but on fourth down, they went for it and the bucks showed that they had balls. Whereas the Packers, not so much on the defensive side of things, Shaq Barrett with a whopping three sacks and his partner in crime, um, all three and a half, four fingers, Jason Pierre-Paul with two sacks. Um, obviously Green Bay was missing David Bakhtiari, uh, one of their best offensive linemen, uh, that pass rush was getting to them. Uh, they were extending plays a little extra in this game. Um, Jair Alexander on the other side had two picks. Uh, one of my favorite young corners in the game. It was awesome to watch him do work, uh, but it wasn't quite enough. So let me put you guys in the stance I am Matt LaFleur, coach, coach of the year, uh, have one of the best offenses. We talk about living and dying in the red zone, one of the best red uh, zone efficiencies and performing teams in the league. And I have debatably one of the best quarterbacks of all time and in the league today, definitely a, a top two, top three quarterback who has had plenty of comeback wins, plenty of you know last second touchdowns. And with two minutes and nine seconds left, they'd rather kick a field goal than let that man go for it. I mean, what does LaFleur say to the coaches? What does they say on the comms? Could someone have intercepted that and be like, hell no, I'm not doing it. Um, I almost expected Rodgers to do like some crazy, you know, thing to, hey, we got to go for it. Like, do you realize who I am? Do you realize we have Devontae Adams on the other side? Uh, We have to go for this. Tom Brady keeps scoring. Uh, but that didn't happen, and obviously was very costly. Um, I just feel like LaFleur just didn't have the balls. He didn't want to, you know, 
obviously, if you get that touchdown, you look like a hero. If you don't, people say settle for the field goal. But in that instance, man, uh, you're playing at home. You got to perform. You got to score points. I just don't understand why he didn't have the guts to do that call. And I'm sure that that is going to haunt him all the way through the offseason until they step foot on a football field again. But hopefully we get to see these two battle it out again next year. I haven't looked into NFL scheduling to see if they're on the schedule. Uh, but Brady versus Rodgers, what an awesome performance. Uh, like the week before, I was just kind of sitting there and on watching things happen. It was, uh, you know, we're watching generational talent that you don't get to see every day. So uh, enjoy it while we can. On the Packers side of the ball, one sack versus Brady. I know I've said this multiple times throughout the playoffs, but that's just not going to cut it against a, a, a good team like that. Um, everyone's overreacting after the game. Um, you know, there was a quote that Roger said, like, Hey, my, my future's uncertain. I mean, the guy has put everything on the line to win. They had the first seed. They're playing in Lambeau. Obviously he wants to be Tom Brady. He's going to be upset. People, players are going to say things after the game, but I can guarantee you there's no way that he leaves that team. He is now asking for more money with a new contract. Because uh, other quarterbacks are getting, play, get, getting paid way more than him. And after his MVP season, I don't blame him, especially for everything that he's done for the Packers. They won't even draft him a damn receiver, give the guy any help. So how can you blame the guy? But let's look at what other options there are. I mean, the only way Aaron Rodgers would actually leave is if he could go to a team that has a better opportunity to compete. And if we look at the AFC, you have to go through Pat Mahomes. Would you rather go through an old... Brady, knowing that Breeze is probably out, or go against Mahomes uh, through the playoffs every year. I would assume that that would eliminate AFC teams. Uh, you know, the Colts are a pretty set team that's looking for a quarterback now that Rivers is retired. But why would you want to go through Mahomes? And the only other roster that's even close to comparable to what the Packers have right now, with Adams, the line that they have, the front office, Lambeau, everything that the Packers have, potentially the 49ers. Uh, everyone wants to throw quarterback names into the 49ers and just give up on Jimmy. Uh, but I just don't see that being a very good matchup. I know that Rodgers is from uh, California, but Shanahan runs a tight ship. He doesn't like that those big egos. I think that's why Jimmy works for him and that he will stick with Jimmy and give him another opportunity. I mean, he's one year away from going to the Super Bowl, so give the guy a break. I just don't see anything happening. Um, Maybe the Packers can just buck up and draft a receiver. <laughs> There's a lot of a big-time talent at the receiver position. We've seen young uh, receivers come into the league and perform. Obviously, MVS had a big game here, but I, you know, those aren't the type of uh, receivers that you want around Aaron Rodgers outside of Devontae Adams. So I am very intrigued to see what happens there. You know, tell the tape when I look at this, I just feel like the Packers lost the game. The Bucks didn't really win. Again, Brady, three interceptions. Usually you're not going to win with that kind of performance. It was a close game, but it's just kind of crazy. You know, it was 31-26 final score, but it's just crazy that the Packers lost that game. I had put a parlay on the division or championship weekends. I had picked Chiefs, I had picked Packers, and I picked the overs on both. Both games did go over, which is always risky. You know, high-performing offenses, that's just where I wanted to go. But damn it, Packers let me down. On the other side of the ball in the AFC, uh, the Bills, you know, they hung in there with the Chiefs 24-38. I think after this game, everyone realizes, oh, shit, yeah, the Chiefs are serious, right? They do mean business. They kind of lacklusterly, you know, fell into the playoffs, and people were knocking their play. 
you know, Mahomes, is he healthy? Like, come on, guys, you saw they're plenty healthy. There's too many weapons for anybody to defend on that offense. So no surprise here for me. And it's going to, you know, we'll talk about the champion or Super Bowl matchup here in a second, but it's going to be hard for me to pick against the Chiefs in this game and many more games in the future as long as that core is together. I mean, they're just on another level. Uh, Mr. Patty Mahomes, 29 for 38, 325 yards and three touchdowns. Another great statistical performance uh, he could put on his resume in his young career at 25 years old. Um, Allen led the team in rushing for seven attempts for 88 yards. Uh, QB leading in rushing. I talked about how the Bills don't have any rushing attack, and Singletary definitely didn't do them, uh, do them any favors in this game. Beasley led the uh, Bills receiving with seven catches on 88 yards. I talked about the one game that they put him in early in the playoffs. He was limping on the field. Just looked like he wasn't even close to 100%. Well, breaking news, not breaking news because it's already been broke, but the man played with a broken fibula, like a slot receiver playing with a broken fibula. He said it was hurting, you know, started feeling better. But, man, the, the way these players, whatever they're giving them to tough it out to play these games is crazily impressive. I could never broken my fibula. But, dang, that's a that's a, a very impressive feat for seven catches, 88, 88 yards, and delivered for the Bills. Um, and then Stephon Diggs, not too far behind, with six catches and 77 yards. Um you know, they, they did pretty good job shutting him down. Um, when I was talking about the matchup last week, I had expected Diggs to have a bigger game and knew that he would have to have a big game to win. Uh, but they did well with zone schematics and double teams to slow him down because one-on-one matchups we knew on paper Diggs had the advantage. And then after the game, Diggs was uh, chilling on the field watching the Chiefs' performance. I believe he wanted Tyree Kill or somebody's autograph after the game. Um, but, you know, humble guy, you know, I could tell that his appetite's and his fuel is fired. He's been in pretty far in the playoffs before uh, to be let down. So I'd imagine a breakout performance for him next year. Even though this was a breakout performance, I would uh, expect him to keep getting better. And in the fantasy world, if you guys are uh, big fantasy players, I'm sure he's going to be a hot commodity and somebody that you'd want on your team. Uh, John Brown uh, had been big throughout the playoffs and I thought would have to come uh, through big and deliver in this game. Only two catches for 24 yards. Uh, only three targets, so you know he wasn't even targeted very much. Uh, I haven't watched the film back by any means. Uh, I have a full-time job and don't get the benefit of working for ESPN where I can just study film. But um, you know, I, I expected him to be more part uh, of the game plan and be involved, especially you know as much coverage as they were giving to Stephon Diggs. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, they didn't really have a lot of time. Um, Josh Allen was taking some of the worst sacks I've ever seen. He does remind me of Big Ben uh, early in his career when he would take all that damage, try to extend the plays and keep things going. And sometimes it was just to a detriment. He tries to do too much. And we saw that from Josh Allen in this game. The Chiefs definitely eased Clyde's Edwards-Hilaire into the game. Uh, He had only six carries and Williams had 13, uh, who has been running the ball pretty well. He doesn't get a a lot of credit, uh, but he's done well and, you know, Obviously, Le'Veon Bell came on the team. He didn't play, but, you know, he's really led the team uh, the second half of the season and in the playoffs. So props to him. I don't think he gets much love. Um, on the Chiefs off- offensive side of the ball, I mean, let's look at these stats. Uh, Cheetah, Tyree Kill, nine catches, 172 yards. I am going to say this is the hardest player in the league 
to schematically plan against. I mean, how do you stop that speed? You have to double team. You have to have a safety over the top because if not, you'll see he will consistently burn you. I know that the Bills were in some man for a while, thought that their uh, defense uh, could hold up. They had switched to zone. We're still getting eaten alive. And then they weren't even being physical with Travis Kelsey off the line. I mean, the man had 13 catches, 118 yards. He was just snaking himself in the middle of the field. Uh, even Romo on the commentary was talking and trying to urge uh, the Bills to, you know, be physical with Kelsey at the line. Um, I think everyone knows that, but the Bills just weren't executing there, which was a little shock to me, especially when they have Matt Milano, who's done pretty well in pass coverage. Get physical. Don't let him beat you off the line. Make him force it. Uh, they have to go the deep ball with Kelsey or with Hill. And if you have double coverage, uh, you know, that's a, that's a play that you're okay with, but uh, nobody's quite figured out how to stop this tandem. And, you know, a couple weeks out, Clyde's Edwards Flair is only going to be healthier. And it seems like in the Super Bowl that everyone that's been out is going to play. Watkins, Bell, AB. You know, a lot of these guys don't have huge roles, but everyone that's been out is expected to play. So that'll be interesting. Uh, the Bills had one sack to Kansas City's four. Again, if you have a guy like Mahomes, you got to force him out and around the po- out of the pocket, even though he's got those sidearm throws, no look. Uh, you're going to be in a better position, but Kansas City took advantage there. And then the Bills, again, another situation that you're like, how, you know, this team's had such a good year. Uh, the coaches are some of the, the top young coaches, and maybe it's lack of experience or uh, just no balls. I'm not too sure, or it's all statistics, but how did they not go for it before half? And they ended up kicking the field goal blows my mind uh, with the way the Chiefs are scoring the position of the game, knowing that you have to put up points. I feel like you have to go for it there. Uh, so that was definitely a criticized decision uh, by the Bills that uh, it just blows my mind that they didn't do that. Um, they're going to have to figure something out at the run game, whether they draft a running back, sign a free agent. I don't believe there's a ton of free agents out there. Maybe a James Conner role player because Devin Singletary is not cutting it. They have them for two more years on the um, rookie contract. Uh, they have a good lo- young line, but they're going to have to have a complimentary run game. I could even see like, you know, some, some Ravens action with the way Josh Allen's running. He's shifty. He's quick. Maybe do some options, some jet sweeps, get some commotion going on to confuse the defenses. I think that's how the Bills level up next year. It's just uh, great schematics and adding to that offense, especially in the run game. Because if you can get that run game going, that play action is going to be even more deadly. And if you have another option, you know, whether it's John Brown or somebody better or younger, uh, uh, next to Diggs, it's going to be uh, a deadly offense for sure. Now let's talk Super Bowl. I know we have two weeks. There's no football this weekend. That's always brutal this time of year. Pretty soon we'll have no football for a long stretch. So uh, business and buckets on the uh, weekly sports pods will have to be a little bit more creative as I can't just talk football for an hour. Uh, But man, this is amazing. Uh, Super Bowl. We got Tom Brady, the, the GOAT versus Pat Mahomes, potentially the young GOAT. I mean, we look at these two guys. The things that Tom Brady's done in my lifetime, I mean, it's just, I don't think you can compare. We'll get into some stats in a minute, and he is definitely the GOAT. Uh, But we look at the things that Mahomes has done. I mean, the guy has 10 losses in his career since his rookie year in 2017, and he only started one game that season. I think it was week 17. Uh, But then he took over uh, from Alex Smith in 2018 when the Chiefs realized that Smith wasn't going to get the job done. Um. This year, they lost to two divisional teams. They were 14-2. and You know how divisional games are. Uh, People get a 
prep your film every single year. They know that they're going to play you twice, and it's just tougher games. Uh, the Chargers uh, had her, uh, Justin Herbert, who is you know going to be a young elite uh, quarterback uh, that has a pretty high-powered offense as well. And the Raiders are you know battling to make the playoffs. They signed John Gruden uh, to that huge contract, and they're trying to figure things out too. And I'm sure the first thing Gruden's trying to do is, how do I beat the Chiefs? How can I win this division? Um, but the Chargers put up 38 points in the win against them. Pretty clean game. Not a lot of turnovers. On the other end, the Raiders roughed them up defensively, and they ran the ball. Jacobs and Booker combined for 140 yards. We look back in time in 2019. The Chiefs had lost to uh, the Titans. What did they do? They ran the ball. Derrick Henry ran for 288 yards. Uh, uh, the final score of that game was 35-32. So they're not losing by blowouts by any means. It's usually high scoring. Um, in 2019, they also lost to the Texans. Carlos Hyde had 26 attempts for 116 yards. They lost 31-24 to in that game against Deshaun Watson. That was a good battle. In a low-scoring affair, they had lost to the Colts 19-13. to They did not have Tyreek Hill at the time, which is huge for them. Uh, but Marlon Mack also ran the ball well in that game. 29 carries for 132 yards. In the AFC Championship in 2018, I mean, this was a gem. Uh, I really wish Mahomes would have won this one and, and put the damn Patriots out of opportunity to win another Super Bowl and put Tom back in there. But it was a thriller. It was 37-31. Uh, it was high-scoring sc offense, pretty clean game from both sides. Basically, the Pats won the coin toss in overtime and were able to go down and score, so the Chiefs didn't have an opportunity. So that was kind of the luck of the coin toss. Whoever was going to win that coin toss probably go down and score and win the game. Um, they also lost to the Seahawks that year, 38-31, uh, another high-scoring game. Seahawks ran for 204 yards, so obviously running game is a recipe to beat the Chiefs. Uh, they lost to the Chargers that year, 29-28. Um, one of the bigger games that season in 2018 was that Week 11 game uh, for the L.A. Rams at the Coliseum because they didn't have their stadium built. Uh, final score was 54-51. to Mahomes threw three picks, so that was a game where he affected the game. And they almost still won, 54-51, three picks. That's crazy. Um, that same season, they lost in the AFC Championship. They lost to the Patriots 43-40. They ran the ball over 170 yards, and Mahomes had two picks. So you look at this, you, you, you know, no one's really figured out a great recipe since Mahomes has taken over with Hill on the team, with Kelsey on the team. Now you have uh, Clyde's Edwards Lair. You still have Sammy Watkins, who will be playing in the Super Bowl, has been out for a while. But there's not a great way to beat this team. I mean, Mahomes has just ran through the league since he started for the Chiefs. You got Andy Reid drawing up the schematics, playing to his strengths. I had talked about on Twitter the jet sweep that they had. I mean, not many players are getting 45, 50 yards on jet sweeps in big-time playoff games like that. But you open it up, Andy Reid knows how to put his guys in space, has that speed to take advantage of. You got Hardman. He'll have Watkins now, who was big in the Super Bowl last year. You got Hill. I mean, there's just how do you match up against them? Uh, but, you know, looking at this, it seems like the biggest thing in common and why I hit it so hard in the playoffs is you got to have a run game. You got to be physical with them, limit them on the field. And when they're not scoring all the time, keeping that momentum down, uh, rushing Mahomes, he might get frustrated and try to force things because he does do shovel passes to Kelsey in the goal line. He does do no looks and does sidearm throws. You know, when he's trying to force things and he's not scoring every drive, you know, maybe he'll force a bad shovel pass or a bad side sidearm pass or try to do something too fancy. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, this is going to be a future dynasty as long as these guys are, are wrapped up together. 
For his career, the man, Pat Mahomes, is 1,114 attempts, 1,114 completions on 1,687 attempts for 14,152 yards and 114 touchdowns versus 24 receptions. That gives him a career rating of 108.7, which is one of the best all time. I want to say it's second. I looked it up earlier. I'll have to look it up again. Uh, But the guy has six comebacks and seven game-winning drives at 25 years old. I mean, this guy's resume through 25 years old. I mean, I'm 28 years old. I'm like, damn, what this guy's accomplished? Like, what the hell am I doing? Uh, It's kind of weird getting older watching professional sports and these kids are younger than you. But, like, this guy is an anomaly. This is generational talent. Enjoy it while we have it. Um, And that's how I felt about Breeze retiring, seeing Rodgers and Brady. I mean, we're watching quarterback talent that doesn't come through very often. And in my opinion, it's greatest all time. I'll take the the talent we have now over the the Favs, over the Montanas. Um, over the McNairs, over all those guys. I, I just think the talent's on a whole nother level, so we got to enjoy it while it's here. Now, um, we talked about all the players potentially being healthy. I think the big one that's going to be uh, back is the safeties for the uh, for the Bucks. The Chiefs are going to be without their two starting linemen, uh, one of their young picks, Eric Flowers, and their other starting linemen, so that could be crucial as we talked about the pass rush of JPP and Shaq Barrett being effective. So we'll see how that works. But, I mean, the Chiefs' offense is so quick. They get the ball out quickly. You know, Tampa's defense, again, is going to have to double to Tyreek. If they don't, they're obviously going to get killed. And they have to be physical. They are a more physical team than the Bills. Uh, They do have um, Derek White, who's a young, fast, athletic linebacker that could potentially match up well. Uh, He looked good last week coming off an injury, so he seems like he is pretty healthy. But again, I mean, Beasley played with a broken fibula, so who knows. Um, And they need to run the ball. They have Leonard Fournette, playoff Lenny looking good out there. Uh, They also have Ronald Jones, who's starting to get healthier and will have an extra week to get some rest. So I'd imagine them playing heavily. Uh, Bruce Arians, you know, former Steelers coordinator uh, through their Super Bowl run. I I think he understands. I think he knows what he has to, uh, to, to do to deliver. And when they asked him in the interview, he's like, yeah, I'm super pumped to play in the Super Bowl, but not excited to have to uh, play the trio of Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill. I mean, that's just a, it's a nightmare on paper, and it's hard to match up with, and you can't completely stop them. So I would assume heavy dose of run game and physicality, bringing the blitz, knowing that those linemen are out. But hey, I mean, the Chiefs, they're without four starting linemen from the Super Bowl last year, and you wouldn't even know it. They're 14-2 and and destroying the league, so... Uh, it might not be that big of a deal, but in most places, two linemen, that's that's very critical. <laughs> when we look at Mahomes, we talked about the no looks. We looked at the sidearms. I mean, there's this traditional um, mold of what a quarterback is, and he's really you know creating and is kind of the upper echelon of what this new mold is. We have the Josh Allens. We have the Lamar Jacksons that are running the ball. But they're just not quite able to do what Mahomes is able to do. And with the kids that we have going through high school and the athletic trainings and the workshops and the you know professional athlete recruitment things they get to go on, they can learn multifaceted sports. And when they're not focusing on one sport, you know, I heard it best from somebody. They're like, Mahomes is basically a shortstop quarterback hybrid. I mean, he's able to do so many different things. So, you know, as we get to improve and live in the technological world and communicate the way we do. These kids are just going to get better and better. So 
Uh, lots of young quarterbacks, lots of quarterback changes that are happening throughout the league. Uh, but Mahomes is kind of the mold, and I think you know front offices will look into that more from kids from college to not judge them and you know potentially not draft them or give them a chance just because they don't have the size, you know, specific footwork, those types of things. When I look at the Tampa run, though. I mean, this is one of the more more impre- more impressive Super Bowl runs I've ever seen. I really didn't give them an, uh, a chance. I know they were Super Bowl favorites to a lot of analysts, ESPNs, uh, you know, the big name sports networks. Um, but I just didn't think with one year they could get things together. You know, Gronkowski, he's there. He's blocking well. He had that big-time play in the screen, the one catch he had last game. But it's not like he's the old Gronkowski taking third-down passes, big passes in the end zone. And I just thought it was going to take some while to get things going. Antonio Brown, he's been there. You know, he's been somewhat involved, but not as huge as you'd think. Mike Evans being hurt. Uh, it just usually it takes some time. But, you know, with Tom Brady and Bruce Arians, it's been a pretty impressive run. Uh, they've gone through Breeze. They've gone through Rodgers in the playoffs. That's not an easy feat at all. And we look at it. I mean, Tom's already like the most winning playoff quarterback in, in Bucks history, which is pretty sad for that franchise. Um, he has more playoff touchdowns than any Bucks quarterback in NFL history. I thought that was a unique stat that I saw, and he has more Super Bowls than the entire Bucks franchise. So if that doesn't say much, I mean, this guy is just on another level. Um, the accolades that he has, I don't think ever will be beaten. And if they are, they probably won't be in my lifetime. Maybe Mahomes. Uh, Mahomes has an opportunity as long as that Chiefs core is together. I mean, the offense that Tampa has, they've scored over 25 points since week five every single game. So obviously they're able to put points on the board. Um, Tom Brady has 10 Super Bowl appearances. I mean, the second place is John Elway at five. I'm sure everyone's seen these statistics, but it's just like these numbers are preposterous. And the idea that they actually beat the Packers on another Super Bowl. I said last week, once Brady's in the Super Bowl, you can't really bet against them. And I don't want to. And I have another week until I have to make my bets on this because you got to bet on the Super Bowl. It makes the game a lot more fun. I just, I don't know. I don't know if I can uh, bet against the Chiefs after that performance and the team they have, but it's damn hard to pick against Brady and you got to respect the greatness. The man has reached the Super Bowl in more than half of the seasons, which he is a full-time starting quarterback without his injury years and those types of things. I mean, that is just preposterous. This is supposed to be a league where a Super Bowl, you know, you're lucky to get one, maybe two, let alone the man has done that. I mean, it's just outrageous. Um, Brady has played in more conference championships, championship games than 26 NFL franchises. That's a mind-blowing stat. Um, you know, they, they were Super Bowl favorites, but they have had a lot of criticism throughout the season as well, especially for me. As I talked about, I thought it would take some time to gel. But he just finds a way, and this is going to be the biggest test. This might be the biggest Super Bowl win, you know, depending on how the game goes, if he throws three picks and they find a way to win, maybe not. But if he beats the Chiefs, I would assume this is probably the biggest win for him. Going to a separate team, people want to compare him to Belichick. I don't really care. I think, you know, Apples, oranges, they're both great. They're both going to have amazing legacies. And I'm sure Belichick's going to find a freaking way to win again, especially with all these quarterbacks that he can sign. Um, but, you know, this this would be a, a massive test, and I'm interested. It, it's intriguing. I would have rather seen Rodgers versus uh, Mahomes just for my clarity and my own mental capacity. But, hey, here we go. We get to watch greatness, old school versus new school. Let's get it. Speaking a little bit more about the Chiefs, I talked about how important it is for this core to stay together and how they can create a a crazy dynasty. 
Mahomes, because of that massive contract, is signed until 2031. Kelsey is signed to 2025, which would put him 35 years old. Hill had that extension that he signed till 2023. And Clyde's Edwards Hilaire to 2023 with his rookie contract. And Reed's there till 2026. So outside of Hill and Edwards Hilaire, who's on his rookie contract, I mean, these guys are pretty much together through 2025, which is a scary thing for their division, the AFC West, most importantly, but the whole AFC and the NFL in, in general. And everybody knows this. Uh, like I said, if you're the Chargers' new head coach, you're Gruden and squad, the first thing they're trying to figure out is how the hell can I beat the Chiefs? And if you're an aspiring Super Bowl team in the AFC, you're probably thinking the same thing. I don't know off the top of my head a team that's like, you know, pretty damn close to being in a Super Bowl next year. The Bills probably be one of the front runners. Uh, but with until we see what happens to the quarterbacks, the Deshaun Watsons, the, you know, I imagine the Colts get somebody, you know, those types of things. It's really hard to say in the AFC versus um, the NFC. Um, in his career, he has earned 10 division titles, five NFC championship appearances. This is Andy Reid. Three AFC championship appearances and three Super Bowl appearances. I mean, Reed's teams have made the playoffs 16 times and he's got a 17 and 14 record, probably about to be 18 and 14. I mean, I don't think this guy, we could say enough about him. He gets a lot of props. We have the Andy Reed tree and all the coaches that he's helped, but man, he's got to be happy being in the position that he is. And, you know, the defense, they don't have a, a, a ton of tremendous big names. You have the Honey Badger back there. You got a couple good uh, pass rushers. But as long as you have this offensive core sign, you'll find a way on defense. You'll get young talent. You'll keep the revolving door, and you'll figure out what you need to do on the defensive side. They, they are improved this year, but um, to keep the team intact, as long as that offense is together, though, I just don't see many teams beating them. As a Steelers fan, you know, this will probably be Ben's last year, you know, make somewhat of a run, make the playoffs. But, like, with a team like this, I don't even expect anything. I mean, most teams shouldn't. This is just crazy, uh, the talent and the position this team has, especially if they keep Hill for a long time. And if he doesn't leave, if he does leave, though, that changes everything. I mean, Kelsey will be aged. He's great. But as without Hill on that side, Kelsey's numbers aren't as spectacular. And, and you can schematically plan around that team. But with Hill, everything's different. I mean, you, you got to double the guy so fast. There's just nothing that you can do really to completely shut him down unless you provide openings elsewhere. And Andy Reid's going to exploit those if you do. Outside of the Super Bowl, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about it next week. We do have another week until football. Um, but other things happen in the league. We talked about a lot of coaching hires last week. Uh, the Eagles had hired Nick Serrani as their head coach and Jonathan Gannon as their defensive coordinator. So they made moves. Uh, it's rumored to be, I know Peterson had gotten a few offerings for offensive coordinator positions, but it, the rumor is he wants to take a year off. Uh, but with Sirianni, you know, he's been in Philly before. Uh, he spent the last three seasons under Frank Reich in Indianapolis. Um, he followed to the Colts from the Eagles, uh, which Reich was hired away from the Eagles in 2018. Um, he's 39 years old. He has a dozen years of NFL offensive coaching experience and most recently directing the Colts offense to a top 10 finish in yards per game, ninth in points per game and 11th in passing yards per game. Uh, this past year as a part of a team that, you know, was in the wild card and a pretty stout team that I don't think anybody wanted to play. They could run the ball. They have a great defense. 
Uh, but old man Philip Rivers just couldn't get the job done. Within the Eagles, there was rumor that Deuce Staley might get a, a upper position. And it, seems, it sounds like he just kind of got sick of getting passed over with uh, other per- promotions and he didn't get the internal promotions. So he ditched them to go to the Lions as a running back coach. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see. You know, they have a few heads there in Detroit. And with the new coaching, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they plan on the running game because I know that they need to figure out something in that position, especially without Stafford. And then Gannon is in his third season. Um, he was in Indianapolis as a defensive backs, cornerbacks coach. He has 13 years of coaching experience, including nine seasons with the Colts, uh, Minnesota Vikings, and Tennessee Titans. He also spent three seasons as a scout with the Rams. So uh, they got some pretty tenured coaches to take over that team. And, you know, that division's a crapshoot. You get things put together. Uh, first thing they got to understand is, is Carson Wentz going to be a part of the team. But if they do get it together, they win that division, you get a playoff spot. So that'll be interesting uh, to see how that works out for them. <laughs> And we got to give a shout out to my guy, Drew Brees. I I said I hated watching him go out like that. Well, then his wife had the audacity to say, not only did he play and played well, right? You can't knock the guy. He played well. He he gave it all on the line. He had a torn rotator cuff, torn fascia, which is in your foot, not comfortable as a quarterback, 11 broken ribs, and a collapsed lung. I've never done any of those things, but I know like what's involved with those. I mean, that's brutal. What the hell they put in him, or is he really that mentally strong? Like, that's that's crazy, and if he would have won against the Bucks, would have even been more crazier to hear after, you know, whatever happened to them against the Packers. They would win. They're in the Super Bowl. I mean, we would have found out a couple weeks. It's even more crazy, but damn. Uh, shout out to Drew Brees for doing that. I mean, he's a legend. That'll even make him be more of a legend. So, again, shout out Mr. Drew Brees. Matt Stafford out of Detroit. He's selling on to greener pastures, which you look at the Philip Rivers we were talking about, kind of wasted his career with a lackluster team and franchise that really didn't, you know, manage his career the best. So I'm happy for Matt Stafford. I don't think he gets a ton of credit. Uh, The guy's 32 years old. He could go to a team that has a well-structured roster and win automatically. Um, Getting out of Detroit is going to be huge for him. I mean, eight out of his 10 full seasons at quarterback, the man's thrown for over 4,000 yards and a majority of those eight over 4,500 yards. So I could imagine, you know, the Patriots, Deshaun Watson's out there, you know, maybe a Carson Wentz. You got Matt Stafford out there. I'm sure they're going to try to take advantage of one of these guys. And the Colts is one of the best rosters that you can be a part of. The problem with the Colts is you got to play Patty Mahomes in the playoffs. So we'll see how this shakes out. It's going to be a crazy offseason. We'll be tracking it like it's the hot stove in baseball, and I'm sure it's going to be hotter than the hot stove in baseball because that shit's been cold for way too long. And there was a rumor today that I saw. thought I'd throw it in the script. The Pats almost got Stephon Diggs. They went hard at Stephon Diggs. They got the Bills. That just shows you Belichick's wanting to make moves. He has all this cap space. He has those opted-out defensive players going. I really hope they don't figure shit out and they don't get a big quarterback. But you know Belichick, he's going to figure it out. He's going to get into his winning ways. And we're going to have to deal with the Patriots being back in the playoffs. Because to be honest with that division, it's only going to take a few moves. And I think we all knew that Cam Newton really wasn't going to deliver for them and that wasn't the answer. Moving on to the UFC fights. Dustin the Diamond Poirier 
I tried telling everybody he outperformed my expectations even. I'd put a Twitter poll out there, 100% chose Conor McGregor. Everyone's hyping Conor McGregor up and thinks that he is like one of the best fighters in the UFC. But he got diamond. I mean, he he, he got beat down. Um, Dustin finished the fight in the second round. I put my money in the round parlays for the third and fifth round, so he did it even sooner than I, I, I thought he would. But as I mentioned, you make it past the first round, you can you take a, a couple of those lefts that, that Connor's going to throw, and most likely I, I figured uh, Dustin would out-cardio him, out-strike him, out-point him, potentially not uh, TKO or, or, or get his back and submit him later in the fight, but it didn't even make it that far. Um, the crazy story of this one was those calf and leg kicks, and man, were they brutal. I was telling my friends as we were watching the fights, when your body is planted to throw because everything's exerted off your back leg and someone kicks that leg and your whole body is shifting around the octagon, that's uh, that, that's how you know that kick's landing and landing pretty brutally. And and Connor knew it. You know, he, he tried to throw some strikes to alleviate that leg pain. But holy shit, what a performance by Dustin Poirier, who I think is one of the better fight fighters in the whole UFC roster. He's, you know, got a ton of ring time experience and has been fighting best of the best. We talked about his record last week and his opponents, but what a performance by Mr. Dustin. They were even talking about a potential trilogy since Connor beat Dustin way back in the day before Dustin had even matured as a fighter. I mean, he looked like a street punk kind at the time. And they have Connor being favored for the third time. I just I don't understand who the hell is picking these odds and who's throwing the the fire. I mean, obviously the UFC is going to be the biggest Connor fan ever because he sells, makes money, and and delivers for them. But all the analysts and everybody else is like, do you watch the fights? Do you see what's going on? I mean, not to knock Connor. I'm not saying that he's just a garbage fighter. I mean, the man is a, a very good fighter. But Dustin Poirier is. The man. I mean, he fights really high-level people and has delivered recently. Uh, so th- it just blows my mind where that comes from. Um, after the fight, Connor said he's never been hit by those kicks before. I don't know if you have been watching these fights since you've been out and partying on your yacht or slapping old men in the Irish pubs. But, man, calf kicks are taking over the UFC. Uh, they're destroying people's uh, fundamentals. Other people that aren't typically throwing those types of kicks are throwing them. We look at even Max Holloway's performance last week. He had the dice or the, the slid up shorts, and I, I thought that would you know assume that he'd throw more kicks. He was throwing calf and oblique kicks, so um, I'm not sure you know how how the how that shocks him. But he should probably figure that out in his camp and figure out what he's going to do moving forward because everyone's going to be attacking those legs, especially after that film with Dustin and how Connor. Like Connor said, he thought he was checking them, but those kicks with that exertion is wrapping around your leg and still destroying your muscle and the, the small tissue that you have there protecting it. So uh, he's definitely going to have to figure that out. Um, one of the big things I, I noticed all week, you know, I, I really love the UFC embeddeds getting hyped up. You got the trailers, you got everything going on, all the, all the film, especially with the pay-per-view headline by Connor McGregor. Uh, but the dad Connor's just different. He, he's a lot more humble. It wasn't F this, F this, or proper this, proper that. It was it was a little bit different. He was grateful. He was respecting Connor, and they shared hot sauce. He was going to give him some proper 12. And, you know, obviously he donated to the charity, uh, uh, the Good Fight uh, donation, I believe it's called, uh, from Dustin. But I thought this would go one of two ways. Watching Dad Connor or Humble Connor 
It's like, hey, you know, he's matured. He's had, you know, a couple kids now. He's gone through a lot of life stuff. Maybe this will help him not be such a psycho and maybe it'll up up his UFC performance. But really what I wanted to think was, you know, he he's built up this whole character, his whole UFC career, and he's been so aggressive and that aggression kind of helps perform in the ring and, and helps him do his thing. And I thought since he wasn't trying to mentally beat down Dustin like he did last time and, and, and get, get in his head more and be the old Connor character, that it would affect him in the fight. And I think it definitely did. You look at the first fight with Dustin. I mean, he was in Dustin's head so bad. Dustin said that he was so emotional that he was like seeing black out there and was just fighting the way he, he, he normally doesn't fight. So um, it'll be interesting to see what Connor does next time. And it's going to be interesting to see where he really wants his career to go from here. Um, I don't know. I mean, I was, I was here with a bunch of fans, uh, uh, a couple friends that were all rooting for McGregor. So I really enjoyed, uh, the way the fight performed because, um, you know, it seemed like everybody was Dustin versus the world. Um, but at this point it's like his legacy is on the line. All it took to finish him was 30 head strikes and 18 leg kicks, which for a Connor fight, that's, I, uh, from recent memory, the fastest, uh, to finish Connor that I've seen and the most beautiful perform. I mean, you look at, at Dustin, if he had a plan, it was pretty damn near executed. He took a couple hits that rocked him a little better than I think he, he, he would, you know, want to admit, but do you want to be the proper number 12, just the showman that takes the Nate Diaz trilogy that will maybe fight, you know, like a Jorge Masvidal for a BMF, just like these random fights that are just big money, uh, making fights. Or are you going to get your shit together and try to be one of the best of the uh, of all time like you you said you were going to be in the chomp chomp and everything else cuz right now you're not champ champ you're Mr. Daddy Yacht just kicking it too much that needs to get your, get your t- uh, ass in the ring and, and and fight some real fighters because the UFC roster is not slacking by any means especially in the lightweight division in my uh it's hard to say but it's a very stacked division potentially the best in the UFC so We'll see what happens. Uh, right after the fight, he already talked about wanting a trilogy. You know, Dustin's up for it, but then he was saying, oh, I want to fight Dustin for the title this time now that Khabib's probably not fighting. I want to fight him for that. It's like, why the hell would Dustin do that? That does not make any sense. Hopefully, Dana and the UFC does not push that upon Dustin because I think that's bullshit. Um, you know, maybe in the future, sure, it's a good money fight. You know, you take that, but I would assume that it's the Nate Diaz fight next for him. Why? It gives Connor more time. It helps him build his brand back. And it's going to be a banger. It's a trilogy. The first two fights were amazing. And, you know, Nate hasn't had a lot of time in the ring either. Uh, it's a win-win for the UFC. So I'd imagine that would be the next fight. Um, but we'll see what happens. This is a next, you know, it's a big decision. And Connor said he wanted to be back in the ring a couple more times this year. So uh, this next fight is going to be huge for his legacy and, and what he has to provide to the UFC. How about Michael Chandler, man? I did not give the guy any credit. I had, you know, admitted to you guys I don't watch Bellator. I'm not a Bellator guy, so I didn't dive into Bellator and study Michael Chandler and watch his film. I do know that Top Dogs and Bellator that he fought that we talked about last week, the Benson Hendersons, the Eddie Alvarezes, I mean, they're great, but they're just not on the same level as a UFC roster. And the way Dan Hooker looked against Poirier, I mean, damn near beat him. And just the people he's demolished, I, I figured the fighting styles of Chandler being a wrestler, Hooker being that long, lanky guy that loves elbows and knees, he would chip him out and, and end up taking him down. 
probably the third or fourth round. But Chandler came out, man. He was aggressive. He kind of stalked Hooker down. He was throwing bombs. And I didn't know that he had that kind of power. Um, I know a couple of UFC big head honchos. Um, I can't remember who said it. Uh, but anyways, a couple of people said they're not surprised at all. But after that performance, I want to see him versus Dustin for the title. I think that's more uh, intriguing than Charles Oliveira or Charlie Olives, as Dan Hooker called him in the uh, press conference for the fight. One of the better press conferences I've seen. Uh, Dan Hooker was just hilarious. He was making fun of Charlie Olives for not making weight. And he says, I got broomsticks bigger than this boy. Uh, so that was that was super fun. I was excited that they had the press conferences back. Hopefully that continues. You know, there was some limited fans in Abu Dhabi. Uh, it seemed like a lot more fans. It was pretty loud in there. So that was really cool. Um, I know Dana said there's a lot of road bumps coming up with, you know, Biden in office, this new strain, and we'll see what happens with the UFC. They battled through the, the first issues with coronavirus, so I'm sure they'll be okay. But there might be some limitations. And can they go back to Fight Island? Do they continue in Vegas? Is Vegas going to get flack from Biden or, you know, the head honcho? So we'll see what happens. Hopefully there's no issues there. But damn, Chandler, probably the best welcoming to the UFC you can have. Really put yourself on the map there. And he said he wanted to size people up. I mean, he sized up what was going on. I mean, after watching Poirier do work, I'm sure he's probably like, holy shit, Dustin can really perform. But I think Chandler's a bad matchup for Connor anyway. So that probably builds his ego and confidence even more. So we'll see what happens, what Dana has to offer. I think technically Charles Oliveira is probably more qualified with his UFC tenure, what he's done. I mean, he had an awesome performance himself in his last fight against Tony Ferguson. I mean, he diced him up. So it'll probably be Oliveira versus Dustin, but I would love to see Chandler fight against him. I think that's the fight that everybody wants to see. Away from that, uh, Joanne Calderwood, JoJo, had the decision over Jessica I. I had picked I in the fight. It went pretty much how I expected. Um, I mean, at this point, what do you do from here? Uh, JoJo's already lost to the top contenders in her division. She's lost to Jennifer Maya, Cynthia Caveo, and Caitlin Chukanagan. Maybe put her with Lauren Murphy, who's ahead of her in the rankings. We'll see what happens there, though. Um, you know, she's just kind of stuck in, like, purgatory. She's the... She's the average person in that division. The rest of the division's big, big names, and she's lost to anybody who's anybody. So we'll see what happens. She's a she's a fighter. She's a you know a grinder. So I'm sure they'll give her somebody. And then Marina Marina Rodriguez really screwed up my bets for the night. I thought Rebus was gonna you know clean house. She's this big almost superstar in the women's division. Talking about going into two divisions and looked like she was gonna be unstoppable. She's got that contagious attitude. I thought she was gonna get the job done, but uh, Marina Rodriguez ended up uh, finishing her in the second round. So we'll see what happens here. There's a lot of good names in their division. I know that Rebus was scheduled to fight Karate Hottie, um, which is, uh, why am I blanking on her name? Michelle Watterson. So we'll see what happens. I think a Tisha Torres fight would be a blast. Um, the Tiny Tornado and Amanda Rebos. I mean, uh, that's a fight that I would love to see. So uh, put that in the future. You know, UFC. Shout out to the Rebus and Torres fight. We all want to see that one. But if not the Karate Hottie, since it was supposed to happen previously, I think that'd be a good fight. Uh, Marina, I mean, after a performance like that, she is now sixth in the standings, jumping uh, Claudia Gadella and Karate Hottie right behind Nina and Carla Esparza. Maybe you give her um, the third-ranked contender, Yang Shinyon. I don't know how to say her last name. That's, that's my attempt. I'm sticking with Shinyon. 
Um, if Thug Rose doesn't fight Wei Lei for the title, that's potentially a good fight. I mean, that performance against Rebus, I think, uh, is definitely going to shoot her up the rankings and give her opportunities. Uh, but we'll see. That's a pretty stacked uh, a class in the strawweight women's division. Another fight on the main card, Mr. Brad. Actually, I think this was in the uh, prelims. Brad Tavares looking good back in the octagon with a decision win. He had been out with the ACL. He's an ultimate fighter guy, guy I like to root for. So that was great seeing him out there. Uh, Juliana Pena with the submission win versus Raquel Pennington. Kind of a boring fight to me. No offense to the ladies there, but it was just, you know, the, the woman kind of uh, grappling going on. But uh, Julia Pena, she's a dog, man. She brings the fights and, and beat a tough Raquel Pennington. Um, or not Raquel Pennington, sorry. She did not fight Raquel Pennington, but she got the win against, I think she should fight Raquel Pennington, uh, Sarah McMahon. Kind of a boring fight. You know, Sarah McMahon's tough with, within her own rights, but Pena brought it to her. With that, I think she should fight Raquel Pennington. I think that'd be a great fight. She hasn't fought her in her career. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Um, Pennington right now is ranked fourth, and Pena ranked six, moving up uh, from seven. So uh, that looks like a good fight. I mean, above that, you got Holy, ha Holy Holly Holm, Jermaine Duranami, and Amanda Nunez. I just don't foresee that happening. Uh, but Raquel Pennington makes sense to me, so mark that down. And man, I mean, <laughs> I was super excited about my, my, my parlay for the fights. I was feeling confident. Very first fight of the prelims, Khalil Roundtree, who I thought beat Marcin Pacino in the fight, uh, lost, and that really just killed me because they said... Um, it was a unanimous decision, and the way I was watching the fight, I thought for sure Clown uh, Khalil Roundtree had more uh, damage thrown, more more um, um, significant strikes. But I looked at the stats after the fight; they gave Pacino 102 significant strikes to Roundtree's 49. I don't know who's scoring that or what's happening. I'd love to watch that fight back to see, but um, that was a, a very controversial fight, and I, I was like, man, here we go. Like, you know, with all the names and all the chaos that's happening in this card, we'll see what happens. Uh, but the card overall delivered. I mean, just the co-main and the main event in itself were uh, must-see TV. Um, so, you know, I can't complain, but I was super pissed about that first fight for sure. Coming up next, we got Overeem versus Volkov next Saturday. This weekend, sadly, no fights, no football, nothing, man. I'm just super bummed. I'm super pumped up about the fights. Uh, but from after this week, it's just fights back-to-back -back Saturdays for quite a while. So super pumped about that. We'll talk about this card next week. You know, both fighters are really trying to get their career trajectory back, especially over Eam. I mean, at this point, the damage he's taking the people he's fought, this is really his last chance. Right now in the standings, it stands at the heavyweight division without John Jones in there. We got... Overeem at five and Volkov at six. So it's about all five, six in front of them. We got Derek Lewis, uh, Jorinzo Rosenstrike, Curtis blades, Francis Ngannou, and Stipe Miocic. And Dana already announced the winner of Stipe versus Ngannou gets the goat John Jones. So we'll see how things shake out. Overeem has an awesome performance. Maybe he could shoot up there, uh, fight the loser of Stipe, uh, Ngannou for the opportunity to have a title shot at John Jones. But, I mean, Volkov's no slouch. He's long, lanky, tough son of a gun. So we'll talk about that fight next week. Uh, but it's a it's a nice, deep fight card. Lots of good fights on there for a fight night, right? This isn't a pay-per-view. This isn't a UFC. So we'll see what happens. Good thing it's not a pay-per-view. 
Dana all week was talking about getting these illegal streamers and bitching about illegal streamers. I'm here in Seattle, tried to buy the ESPN plus pay-per-view. Wouldn't even load. Nothing was happening. People had supposedly bought the fights, couldn't even watch the fights. He said it was a West Coast issue and the pay-per-view still was the second best pay-per-view in UFC history. I say bullshit on that, especially with all the blackout on the West Coast. I mean, there's no way. Maybe that's before all the refunds that he's got to issue and all the shit show. But, you know, the UFC is making moves. We have the UFC on uh, ABC. We got ESPN Plus. We got Fight Pass. We have all these networks. But if you're one performance where you're going to have your big namers on pay-per-view, get your shit together. You know, is that Disney's fault? I, I'm sure. But if you're going to have that platform be successful, you got to be able to deliver here. And to be honest, the streaming uh, quality is sometimes better than what ESPN Plus offers. I know it's based off Wi-Fi, but if I can stream the fights via Wi-Fi and it's a better HD picture than ESPN Plus via the same Wi-Fi, it doesn't make much sense. Either way, I'm not super thrilled with the ESPN Plus performance so far. It's a glitchy app. They need to get their shit together, and the UFC should be pushing their buttons on that because I think that's unacceptable, especially with your main draw on Conor McGregor. The main draw to me is John Jones, but everyone wants to see the champ champ. John Jones about to be champ champ, so watch out. Um, after this fight, though, I mean, let's look at some of the lightweight fights. I had talked about wanting Chandler versus Poirier. I think they do Poirier versus Charlie Olives, though. I think you got to go probably Justin Gaethje versus Chandler if that's the case. I think, you know, Justin's obviously coming off a loss, but, you know, it's Khabib. Khabib. So I think you give him Chandler. I think that gives Chandler another UFC fight. If he wins that, then he has an opportunity at the title. I mean, this is unless Khabib comes back, but none of the fights right now make sense to me. I think I, I said GSP is the fight for him to go 30-0, and 0, and that's not something that he needs to make a decision on now. I think sooner uh, the better, but that's still not for the title because I don't think GSP's aspirations would be coming back, keeping the title. It would just be a one-and-done fight. So, I mean, the, the the division's up for air. I know in the weekly press conferences, they had talked about doing a lightweight tournament, and McGregor and everyone said they were in. That would be super intriguing and a lot of fun, uh, but I think those are the fights that you have to make. I talked about um, that I think the UFC will put Connor with Nate, but if that happens... Mm, or if 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 that doesn't happen, maybe put uh, Nate versus Tony. Or, you know, Tony's taken a couple losses. Shoot, Tony versus uh, Connor wouldn't be a bad fight either. Or or maybe even Hooker. I mean, Hooker's two fights uh, losses in a row against really good competition uh, with Chandler and with Dustin Poirier. So you know, maybe a Tony Hooker fight, maybe a Nate Connor fight. I I, I like those the best. Um, but we'll see what happens. This, these are big fights for really all three of them, especially when you have multiple losses in the UFC. I see Hooker being able to move on from this easier, though, than a Tony and Connor um, because Connor's at such a high pedestal with the fans that he's got to continue winning. And Tony's just getting older, and I, I think his chin's kind of falling apart. But there was some controversy about Hooker as well. He threw the gloves in the octagon, was super pissed after the fight. So some people think he might be calling it. I haven't seen anything saying anything, any updates on what happened there. But I want to imagine Hooker calls it after that. I, I mean, you know, two brutal losses in a row. You got to be pissed. I'd be pissed as well. But I don't think he calls it by any means. Lots of Apex fights coming. Um, you know, there is potential of going back to Fight Island, but like I said, there's just a lot of uncertainty for them with scheduling because of COVID and Biden being in office. So we'll see what happens. But there has been some pretty big fights that are official now. 
and they all happen to be in the middleweight division where Izzy can just move up, potentially get another title, and watch the thing shake out so that he could retain both titles. So we got number one ranked Robert Whitaker versus number two Paula Costa. This is a banger fight. Can't wait for that to happen. We already knew Holland, uh, Kevin Holland had called out Derek Brunson. Derek Brunson's ranked seven. Derek Holland, 10 in that class. That's now official. That's going to be an awesome fight to watch. Um, and then today, Darren Till versus Martin Vittori. That's four and five in the middleweight division. Till had had a loss recently to Whitaker. So this is going to be big for the middleweight division and some big-time fights that I am super excited for in the future, and we'll see what happens. Because outside of that, they had announced... Uh, ben Askren's fighting Jake Paul on the Triller Network. Uh, you know, Tyson, uh, Mike Tyson has talked about continuing these vet fights and alluded to even potentially fighting Holyfield in the future. And then more celebs fighting. They said it's good for the sport. You know, sure, I, I watch it. You know, I'm intrigued. Um, so they're going to keep doing that. Please, on behalf of the MMA and professional fighter community, Ben Askren destroyed Jake Paul. You know, Ben Askren's old. He looks slow. I don't think he's much of a striker. He's known as a wrestler. So that's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But if Ben Askren can stop Jake Paul, we we don't have to hear, hear about all of his bullshit anymore. So I'd love to see that happening. But we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. I did watch um, the Food Truck Diaries with uh, Mike Tyson. And holy shit, that was funny. He was talking about the boxing, the future of boxing, some of the big superstars. And the whole point of the show is um, you get to go to a food truck with Brent, uh, Brendan Schaub and then eat it while you're interviewing. And he was about to eat. He ordered food. He's like, holy shit, I can't eat this. I forgot I'm on shrooms right now. You know, classic Mike Tyson, whatever age he's at, just still out rolling, doing his thing. Um, but yeah, Askren versus Jake Paul, April 12th, the same night of the Whitaker Costa fight. So I won't be watching that live, but I'm sure I'll see the highlights and hopefully we see Jake Paul get knocked out. But Ben Askren knocking anybody out. I'm not betting on it. So we'll see. Let's pivot to the hardwoods. Lots of action coming up. I talked about no fights. I talked about no football. Hardwoods is taking over this Saturday, uh, this weekend, and we got some big things to, uh, to discuss that's happened and what's coming up. So let's go. So on the hardwood, one of the biggest takeaways that I have is the 76ers. They're on top of the East. They beat the Celtics twice. We had talked about how important that's going to be for playoff matchups. And they beat them pretty handily as Embed just balled out. You know, big storyline, though, Tatum wasn't playing. Uh, he still was out due to health restrictions and COVID. But one thing with the Embed, though, man, I mean, I love the way that they're playing. They're doing their thing. But can we please chill on the flops? I mean, this guy is just flopping left and right and, like, out of control flops. Like, if you're a big dominating center, like, you can't be flopping like that. We didn't see Shaq out there flopping. We didn't see, we don't see Dwight Howard out there flopping. We don't see legitimate centers out there flopping like that. I mean, that's a guard play move and just a shitty move in general. So, please cut the shit. Hopefully, we don't see Embed continually flopping like that. Um, they beat the Pistons once and then lost to him the second time without Embed. So, you could see how important that is because the Pistons are atrocious they have four wins they're tied with the timberwolves for worst um well technically they have one more loss than the timberwolves so they have the worst record in the nba and, and the rest of the, the 76ers team played so you can see how pivotal of a uh, of a player he is to that team but just cut the shit with the flopping man like let's get over it you're, you're ruining like, i don't even want to root for you when you're flopping like that the bottom of the east is going to be a scrap 
I mean, not necessarily the bottom of the East, but you know, the, the eight seed to the, the few teams that are within striking distance of the playoffs. We got the Cavs, Knicks, Magic, Raptors, Bulls, Hornets, and the Heat, Eastern Conference champion, the Heat of all teams, uh, that are battling it out. And I expect a lot of these teams to make moves before the trade deadline. Obviously, Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, and others have been out for the Heat because of COVID. And I would assume that they'd climb their way back into the standings, especially the way Bam Adebayo is playing. But it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. I do expect to see some moves. And looking at the standings now, we got the Mavs and the Spurs outside of the West, which is pretty impressive. Um, you would have, you know, tend to think they'd be in there. Last year was the first year Popovich hadn't made the playoffs in forever. So I'd assume he gets his team back on track, and Luke is not going to let that happen. But bad look for the Mavs right now. They fall down to 8-9 and nine under the, the postseason threshold. So... Um, you know, there are more postponed games. The league's going to have their handful when figuring this shit out, especially with some of the teams that have missed multiple games, like the Grizzlies. Um, they're going to have to figure that out, and they still have to announce the second half of the regular season. I tried to find out when that's happening. That's not official yet. Uh, right now, they're talking about bringing the All-Star game back, which, to me, I give zero shits about the All-Star game. Like, let's figure out the scheduling. Let's get the second half released so we know what's going on. And I'm trying to catch the Jazz in Salt Lake, ripping the Jazz hat today. So let's let's hear what they're going to do with the schedule and, and, and see what's happening. We talked about the huge James Harden trade to the Nets and their new big three. Well, they took a couple L's. They lost to the, the Cavs two in a row. One was without Kevin Durant and the full squad. Uh, but interesting start to their big three. We always know that the big threes can take some time to gel together as well. Um, and they did get two dubs versus the Heat and the, not their full squad. Still looking pretty nasty, though. I don't think anyone wants to play them, and they have the talent on paper to win the championship. I think missing Spencer Dinwiddie is very big, but I don't want to play them. And if they're all hitting, like, I mean, we got Kyrie, we got James Harden, and we got KD. Potentially two players with James Harden and Kevin Durant that are top two, top three in their position all time. So pretty crazy. Other than that, the guy Steph Curry out there having fun. Uh, balling out without his fellow splash brother Clay Thompson, they got he has the Warriors back in the playoff standing at nine and eight, just edging out the other teams for the eighth place spot. But um, got to throw this out there, you know, during the Warriors Jazz game, the Warriors got destroyed. They were down by forty at one point, lost by twenty six. Uh, Steve Kerr interviewed with uh, some reporters after the game and saying, "Hey, you know, the Jazz are building a squad. It reminds me of the Warriors a few years ago." Um, I think they can definitely contend and we have to take that quote in context. He's pretty familiar uh, with the jazz coach Quinn Snyder and likes his, you know, blend of basketball. They're shooting an outrageous amount of threes and shooting one of the best three point percentage in the league. So Steve Kerr can definitely speak into that. Have to take the quote in context, but Hey, I was telling my friend, you know, I'm not expecting the jazz to win the NBA finals and beat the Lakers. But if we could finish second in the standings and put up a fight against the Lakers in a Western Conference Finals, that's a win for me. I mean, that's a Jazz fans, you know, almost perfect scenario. Obviously, I'd like to win a championship, but we can't recruit the LeBron Jameses of the world. We can't get those major superstars. We have to draft and build a team the way we have with the Bogdanovich tra uh, signing on kind of a cheap contract. We got the homer discount with Jordan Clarkson, who's going to be sixth man of the year, and then Mike Conley. Obviously, was a trade. He didn't choose to come to Utah, even though it seems like he is enjoying himself there. And he's a free agent this year, so we'll see what happens. But the Jazz are doing their thing. 
They're going for the season longest win streak tonight at nine wins. Um, they play the Knicks, who they lost to earlier on the road this season. This one is in Salt Lake, and they do have fans, so we'll see how that plays out for them. Um, you know, Donovan keeps improving every year. He's improving. The Jazz are third in offense and third in defense, so it's not like you know they're lucky for being where they're at at second in the Western Conference uh, uh, standings. They're second and third point percentage and attempting a crazy amount of threes. But they're just a great, fast-moving team basketball. They're finding the open shots. Sometimes they try to find the open shot so much, they pass open shots for a more open shot, which doesn't always work, and they miss um, and leads to turnovers. But the the play is definitely proving itself, and they continually to win ball games. So, you know, after this, I'll be tuning into that Jazz game if, if it's still left to see what's happening there. Uh, but did want to touch base on, you know, the, the Shaq coverage. I did tune into that game. Um... You know, a TNT game for the Jazz. I'm definitely going to watch it, watch the halftime, watch the post game, see what the guys have to say. And everyone's just freaking out about what Shaq has to say. I mean, he's mentored some of the best players in the league, you know, including Dwayne Wade. That was my guy. He he was pivotal to him and his early success and helping him with his career. Uh, he played with LeBron James for a little while. He played with Kobe. I mean, some of the biggest egos and some of the best athletes out there. Um, Shaq has a right. Dude, this guy is a guy that, I don't think there'll ever be another similar player to him and just straight up dominated basketball. You know, he makes fun of Rudy Gobert and his $200 million contract because he gets 10 points, 11 rebounds a night. Yeah, he's not Shaq. To Shaq's point, I'm sure he wish he had that kind of contract and he's sour about it and he could have got paid that much. Uh, you know, no knock on Rudy. He's a two-time defensive player of the year. Not every seven-footer could put up those stats. And no knock on Donovan. I think he's just trying to fire him up, do it his own way. I think even the young players don't even really listen to that TNT crew. It's like, oh, you old guys reliving your glory days, especially when they're talking shit. And I don't think the players take it too personally. I think the way that this got blown up, there was some players that spoke out on it, especially in the Jazz uh, locker room. Uh, but I don't think it's really that big of a deal. I don't think the players take it too seriously. Donovan's probably like, okay, cool, dude. Like, I don't fully have your respect. Haven't had anyone's full respect since I've been in the league. I've been an underdog since I started. Let me continue to develop. Because all he had to say was, I, bro. Like, what do you want me to say, Shaq? And uh, he was trying to push for a quote, you could tell. And, and Donovan wasn't giving it to him. But then the media blew everything out of hand. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is out of control. And now it's just this huge story. And... I can't stand the media in those aspects because it's always about clickbait. It's always about fucking riling the pot and getting ratings. But really, guys, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, this quote says it the best. This is from Muhammad Ali, you know, one of the best athletes in any sport all time. He said, the credits only made me work harder. And that's exactly what's happened to Donovan. So, you know, let it blow over. Shaq has the right to say what he wants. You know, if this was, um, I don't know, you know, just like a decent Hall of Famer. If this was Paul Pierce, I'd be like, okay, Paul Pierce, get the hell out of here, right? But this is Shaq. I mean, he was one of the most dominant players in his position to ever live and probably will for eternity. So uh, it is what it is. It's not that big of a deal, though, so let's just let it blow over. More teams announced to allow fans at games. So I think we have up to eight teams now that are having fans, which is a huge win. I would love to go see some uh, live basketball this year, you know, depending on how preposterous ticket prices are. Um, I'll probably only go to Portland, Portland's probably going to be one of the last places to have fans, so we'll see. But that's still good for teams. Good to see things are improving, even though we are having COVID postponements and some issues with scheduling. But that's expected, right? I mean, there's too many guys, too many teams, too many travels, too many crossing paths. Uh, so it's just expected. But the, the league's powering on, and then they're, they're, they're getting their thing figured out. But let's not worry about the All-Star game. Let's get the schedule, second schedule, and all the rescheduling figured out. Um. 
the Lakers are the Lakers. I mean, besides choking late against the Warriors, I talked about last week that I had actually tuned out of that game because I thought it was over, and it wasn't. Um, but they're looking like complete top dogs. I mean, I don't know. LeBron James scored 46 points against his old hometown crowd, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and 21 in the fourth because he said an executive was celebrating missing a shot too much. I mean, how can we not be in awe of this guy's presence? I mean, I'm, I'm in awe of Mahomes and Brady and Rodgers and Breeze. I'm talking all about this, but, like, LeBron James doesn't happen often. Like, you know, these are – since MJ is probably one of the only co- comparable players, you know, everyone's huge Kobe fans and everything's, you know, very sensitive with Kobe, RIP Kobe and Gianna right now. That's Today was the Kobe day. But, I mean, this guy just does things that shouldn't be done. He's been in the league this long, and he's performing like that and completely taking over and winning the games. It was a close game. They needed pretty much all of those 46 points. Uh, but it's just amazing to see that this guy just does not stop, and you can tell he's going to be in the league for quite a while, but it's going to be hard for someone to beat the Lakers when he could put the team on his back like that. And, you know, Anthony Davis is capable of doing the same himself. When it comes to the Bucks, they keep losing to contending teams. They're not beating the best quality in the league. You know, maybe this is they need more time for Drew Holiday to get things going, get a shot going. I know Giannis has been shooting a few jumpers and deep shots. It doesn't seem like that's going to be something that's really going to help them take that next step this year. So interested to see what happens there. I could see them potentially adding to the bench. Their bench isn't that strong. They could have a guy in there for like sixth, seventh, and even eighth man. They have the Pat Connaughtons of the world, and I think they have uh, Bobby Portis now, but. They need somebody else in there that can just get be a certified bucket getter. I'm a Nova fan. They got Dante DiVincenzo. You know, he was a pure scorer in college and really hasn't done that in the league. So I'm interested to see what their leash is with him in the starting lineup as well because uh, they, they need to have more scoring and, and people that can create outside of Giannis just taking over and storming the, 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 the basket. So we'll see what happens there, but they got to be able to beat the better teams. I mean, the Pacers, again, handling business and looking good in the regular season. As it stands, they're fourth in the Western Conference, or excuse me, Eastern Conference. And Malcolm Brogdon with a a big game a couple days ago, and this guy is leading the team. Um, It's sad to see Depot go, but, I mean, they're clicking on all cylinders, so they're going to be a tough out for sure. Um, The Nuggets themselves, you know, they're struggling compared to what they were last year. They are fourth in the West at 10-7. and But damn, man, Nikola Jokic, the things that he's doing, the passing, the smoothness as a center, and just the triple-doubles, damn near double-double every single night. Um, If they want to get to that upper level, though, they're going to have to get more from Jamal Murray. I I just We need to see a bubble version of Murray. I don't know if that's even possible. Uh, But maybe it's Michael Porter Jr. He had 30 points against the Mavs last night. was a walking bucket. He just looks springy. He looks young. He was dunking. He was shooting. The man can't play defense, and when the Jazz played him, they attacked him every single time he was on the court. So they got to figure out schematics there. Uh, But they needed someone that can get buckets outside of Jokic and and help perform. So we'll see what happens with the Nuggets and how how they try to assess that. Everyone's just all up on the Clippers' butt right now. They're the second-best team. They look good. They could potentially beat the Lakers. And, you know, I, I just don't feel it. I don't know what it is. I, don't, I haven't watched a lot of their games in person. Uh, but it's hard to say with Kawhi there. They can accomplish anything, to be honest. I, they, they do need more of a bench with uh, Trell, uh, Trez leaving them to the Lakers, Montrez Harrell, 
Uh, and Lou Williams is having a horrid season this far. I mean, he's got some injuries. He's battling some things. But they need to have old Lou Williams back or they need to get somebody else on the bench uh, because uh, the bench is definitely eating him alive. It was great to see DeMarcus Cousins getting a good game in. He, they, they beat the Mavs the other day, which is another bad loss for the Mavs. He put up 30 points, 15 rebounds. Great to see old Boogie beat Boogie. Especially Houston, man. You got to root for him. Uh, I rooted for him with Chris Paul. I don't really like Harden, but now that he's gone, I love to root for the team. Uh, you know, with Depot there, Eric Gordon. You know, they have some they have some good tough uh, players that it would be nice to see them sneak up in the playoffs. I don't expect them to do much, but bad loss for the Mavs. Good to see Boogie. You know, him and John Walls get back into their old form. It, it, things can get interesting for them. Fun team to watch, anyways. There's a lot of fun teams in the NBA. I mean, every damn roster is good. You know, I didn't just knock in the, the Timberwolves earlier. They haven't had Carl Anthony Towns, but you look at like those teams' rosters are stacked. To be good in the NBA, you have to have an elite roster of six to eight people. Uh, it's just crazy. You know, a lot of the teams are fun. The Bulls, shit, the Thunder, the Kings, and they're, they're not really good compared to these elite level teams. But the NBA has just got a lot of talent. It's a lot of fun to watch. What do we got coming up this week? Well, we got uh, Mavs versus Jazz. And uh, two times this week in Utah. Obviously, I'm going to bring up the Jazz, but that's a big game in general. Mavs fighting for playoffs. Jazz looking like a, an elite Western Conference team. They play on Friday on ESPN. Uh, Lakers versus Sixers tomorrow on ESPN. Uh, that's going to be a huge matchup. You know, some of the elite teams in both conferences. Interested to see how Embiid could handle the physicality of Davis and the Lakers. Because uh, this will really give us a, a, you know, a measuring stick of how good the Sixers team can be. And then we got Clippers versus Heat on Thursday. You know, there's rumors Jimmy and, and some of the squad will be back from the COVID issues. So hopefully that happens because that'll make that game a lot more fun. Um, Kawhi and uh, Paul George didn't play in tonight's game. So I'd imagine they would be playing in that. You know, they're weird with the minutes and everything. But a full healthy squad on both those ends, that's a banger for Thursday. Uh, we got Bucks versus Pelicans on Friday. That's Zion versus Giannis. I know I always talk about the Pelicans are not that, you know, amazing of a team. We look at the standings right now. The Pelicans are 5-10, and 10, almost bottom of the full conference. Uh, but it, it's hard not to watch uh, Brandon Ingram and, and Zion do their thing, especially against people like Giannis. I mean, ESPN shows them for a reason. They're on TV for a reason. They're talking about potentially packaging up Lonzo Ball and getting him out of there. Uh, they got to figure something out. They need to uh, be able to perform better than that. And uh, with the new coach there, I think they'll figure it out eventually. But again, I mean, they got us good rosters. Just the NBA is so elite that you have to have such a, you have to have, you know, a top seven superstar on your team to really be elite. Lakers versus Celtics on Saturday, ABC primetime, no football, no fights. That's going to be the action. Tatum's going to be back. That's going to be a great game to see. Uh, kind of young versus old. Super intrigued on that one. Probably, you know. I plan on snowboarding this weekend if we get some snow, but if I were to watch a game, that's going to be a game I want to watch. Uh, Jazz versus Nuggets. They played a couple weeks ago, but they play again on Sunday on NBA TV. It's a rematch of the playoffs. Uh, usually a high-scoring, pretty elite game. You know, Murray and Donovan were trading 40-point efforts in the playoffs, so uh, definitely uh, a good TV right there. We got 76ers versus Pacers on Sunday. We got a little bit of Turner and Sabonis versus Embiid, some bigs. We'll see how... They can match up because this could be a potential playoff matchup. I could see this being like a 4-5, 3-6. So that'll be an interesting game. Uh, Bucks versus Blazers on Monday. Um, 
you know, the Bucks. I want to say a Blazers an elite team by any means, but they got to be able to beat playoff quality teams. So this will be a good test for them against a very high scoring team. They're going to have to keep up with the scoring. And like I said, without the DiVincenzo balling and, and having bench players, it'll be interesting to see how they can adapt. And then right before the next podcast, we got Clippers versus Nets. That Tuesday night, this is a huge game. If the big three plays, if Kawhi and Paul George play, you know the NBA for some damn reason, they'll eliminate one of the players to ruin, you know, I don't know. I hate how they do that, and I know that the league's trying to stop that. But hopefully we got full healthy squads because that's going to be a good game. That's Tuesday night. I might have to figure out what I'm doing with the podcast, try to do something earlier, try to do something later because I don't want to miss that game if they're healthy. Uh, TNT gets the Monday night or Tuesday night double headers. We got that game and then Celtics Warriors. So that's going to be a, a great game as well. And uh, excited to see those matchups. Steph Curry is just must see TV anyways. But I like watching Wiseman develop and Draymond coach him up. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens on that matchup. Uh, before the pod comes out, obviously I launched these on Wednesdays. We do have Bucks and Pacers that Wednesday. Another good Eastern Conference preview potential playoff matchup. Moving to the college hardwood. There's more postponed games. There was lots of postponed games last week. You look at like the Saturday schedule, some of the big days of ball, and half the teams that were supposed to be playing weren't playing. Uh, but this week looks pretty good this far. There's way less postponements, so hopefully we could keep that positive momentum going up. In the moment, though, it just seems like it's Big 12, man. Big 12's taken over. You got Baylor ranked second, Texas 5, Texas Tech 10, West Virginia 11, who just had a Comeback victory over Texas Tech on Monday night, even though Matt McClung scored 30 points. This was another classic Shane. Oh, Texas Tech's got it wrapped up. They were creating separation. I tuned out, woke up today, and saw that Texas Tech blew it. I was like, what the hell? Um, But that's why you watch the game, right? You got to watch the end of the games. Uh, Kansas is ranked 15. Oklahoma is 24, who just had a huge victory tonight, um, an upset one-point defeat of Texas. And then Cade Cunningham and Oklahoma State's right outside the top 25. So that's a stat conference. They've been battling. They're kind of just destroying each other. You know, Texas losing to Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma is one of those sneaky teams that has better um, quality players that will be a tough out in the tournament than people think. Um, I think the Big 12 is aware of that uh, because they have to play them. But a lot of teams and a lot of analysts out there kind of, you know, sleeping on Oklahoma. Uh, Looking at the rankings, you know, I agree with them for the most part. The interesting team is Houston. They're number six. Their big win is Texas Tech, which was early in the season, right? Matt McClung uh, transferring new schematics, COVID, not a lot of preseason. And the rest of their schedule, you look at it, it's pretty winnable. So they could win out. So that'll be interesting to see. I'll be I'll be trying to watch Houston of any potential opponents. I know there are postponements. So, you know, like Villanova lost three weeks. Are they going to reschedule those games? Are they going to try to make up those games? That's going to be seen with college. I doubt they do because they're just going to have to roll into conference championships and tournaments, but we'll see what happens. Hopefully they get a a good quality opponent that we could watch them play to see if they are legit or not because they did beat Texas Tech pretty early in the season. I'm not sold on Alabama. They did beat Kentucky earlier. They did beat them tonight again. Kentucky is not the Kentucky of old. Um but you know people think pretty highly of Kentucky so we'll, or excuse me of Alabama so we'll we'll see where they stand um they're ranked number 9 right now uh but i don't think they're better than Texas Tech, West Virginia, Ohio State, Wisconsin, maybe even Creighton so we'll we'll see there's a couple teams that'll probably go up and down 
as I had talked about before. I remember Tennessee being way up there. I mean, you guys heard what I was saying, and it, it, it tend to happen, but um, I'm not super sold on Bama. I just you know, it's weird to see in their basketball. I, I I liked Colin Sexton. They did pretty good then, and that's kind of the floor that I or the ceiling that I see Alabama having is like a borderline tournament team, uh, not a team that should be in the top ten in the the rankings. And a lot of that has to do with postponed games and teams not playing. The only Pac-12 team in the top twenty-five is UCLA. Ooh, tough days for if you're a Pac-12 fan. I live out here and hear Pac-12 fans all the day, and they're always trying to you know be boisterous and talk shit. You got one team probably shouldn't even be there. It's like they gave you a pity top 25. Uh, you know, Oregon was supposed to be good this year and, and some other teams, USC, and they're outside. So we'll see what happens with that conference. They got to get something going. And it looks like uh, the UCLA-Oregon games postponed this week. That would be a big game for Oregon to try to boost back into the top 25. Uh, but they're supposed to play all the way on Monday next week that's still postponed. So one of the teams must have an outbreak. I'll be interested to see if that happens or if that's just uh, already been officially postponed. Coming up this week, though, uh, Nova versus UConn on Thursday. I talked about it's UConn's return back to the Big East. So just excited to watch Nova play them and, and see what they what they can provide. Nova coming off a long drought of not playing, not practicing because of COVID. So uh, interested on that game. We got Oklahoma versus Alabama on Saturday. That'll be a good test for Alabama, especially with Oklahoma being high off the win on Texas tonight. Uh, Virginia Tech versus Virginia, right? Obviously, a little bit of a rival game going. Both teams in the top 25. Uh, Virginia Tech ranked 20th and Virginia ranked 8th. So that'll be a great matchup. Again, Saturday, it's, it's Hoop Saturday. We got the Lakers game. You got those games. You got Kansas versus Tennessee, which is two ranked teams, even though I think both of them are pretty overrated, especially Tennessee. Uh, we got Kentucky versus Texas. Again, Kentucky is not the typical Kentucky, but hey, they beat Texas there. They can get their, their season back on track. Uh, Oklahoma versus Texas Tech on Monday. And then we have the big game, potentially one of the bigger games of the season, except if Baylor were to play Gonzaga. We got Texas versus Baylor on Tuesday. I mean, Texas is that, that, that could really write the ship for them. They have three losses now. I don't take the Oklahoma loss too seriously for them, but you know my, my boy Cody Morjo had me deep dive. Now I'm interested in Texas. Uh, Shaka Smart had COVID, so he didn't coach the game uh, tonight, and he was talking up Andrew Jones, who went 0 for 7 from deep tonight. That guy's got to be able to make shots if they want to win. You know he hits a couple of shots. They beat Oklahoma tonight, so super pumped for that game. Tuesday's a banger. We got that Baylor Texas game, and we have um, Clippers net. So. Uh, like I said, I'm going to have to figure something on the podcast because I ain't going to want to miss those games. Maybe I record them. I don't know. But let's talk a little hot stove. The stove is staying warm. Last week it was hot. I just want these signings to get over, guys. Um, JT Real Moto, uh, Real Moto with a huge contract, five-year, $115 million, the most average payment per year for a catcher, which is pretty nuts. Um I say he deserves it though. He's still, you know, considered and uh, somewhat of his prime for for baseball. So the Phillies knew they couldn't just let him go. That should have happened weeks ago, though. I mean, it, he's already on your team. You've had conversations with him. Like, what's the holdup? Why is this shit taking so long? It's got to be the agents, and I, it makes me sick because it just ruins the off season. But uh, Marcus Simeon to the Blue Jays on a one year, eighteen million dollar contract. Blue Jays making moves. Uh, they signed Springer last week. There was rumor that they would get Brantley. Brantley ended up staying with the Strohs, 
which is big for the Astros because it shows that not everyone's just trying to bounce after the whole, you know, sign ceiling scandal and, and all that jazz. So that, that's definitely a big signing for him, for them. And Brantley's a little older, but that guy just keeps playing ball. It's like Justin Turner, you know, they're getting their late thirties, but they're, they're still out there balling. Um, Andrelton Simmons had a one-year, $10.5 million contract to the Twins. Great signing for the Twins. I love me, Andrelton Simmons. I didn't want to get rid of him, uh, but the Angels are trying to save money on the infield to put money in pitching, which brings me, like, the Phillies should have signed JT forever ago. Why are the Angels not signing Bauer? He's the last really good quality pitcher. They need an elite pitcher unless Otani can somehow, you know, be a, a great pitcher and uh, hitter and pitch a full season. But they need an ace. Like, pay the guy what, what whatever you got to pay. Let's make it happen. Let's let Trout enjoy some postseason days and leave memories that, you know, will last baseball fans forever. Like, if, if it when I grew up as Sosa, McGuire, all those big names, you want to see them do well. We want to see Trout in the playoffs, so please make a move. Um, Tanaka might not play. Uh, he said he might go back to Japan, which is a little surprising to me. So we'll see what happens there. Um, and then Brad Hand, one of the best uh, back-end rotation guys signing with the Nationals. Outside a hot stove, I mean, we still have some time for baseball to kick things off, was supposed to be the new Hall of Fame introduction, and nobody is introduced to the Hall of Fame for the first time since 1960. Oh, man, baseball just does some weird shit, and I just feel like they do things wrong. It's, it's kind of political. It's kind of annoying. I mean, we're talking Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, and Barry Bonds, who all missed it by, like, just a couple percentages. Uh, you need to have 75%. They're both over 70. I think Kurt Schilling was 12 votes off. Like, why are these guys not going in? I don't even think we have to bring up career stats. Like, this is Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Kurt Schilling. They deserve to be in the uh, Hall of Fame. But it's their 10th and final time next year, so... It's going to be interesting to see what happens. That would be a shame. These guys didn't get in. Obviously, there's some scandals and steroids involved, but steroids is a part of baseball's history. I just don't think you could avoid it. Um, we'll see what happens, though. I mean, I think the steroids thing, we just got to blow past it. You look at some other names that didn't get in that were uh, you know, less voted upon. Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Manny Ramirez, Gary Sheffield, Sammy Sosa. Like Even some of these names, I believe they should get in. But to have nobody go in this year, I think that just is retarded and blows my mind. Unlike Bonds and crew, uh, this is Sosa's, uh, Sammy Sosa's ninth year on the ballot. So he's running out of time as well because after the 10th year, you just don't get in. And there were 14 blank ballots. Like That, again, is just like blasphemy and just basically like voters saying, screw these players. Um, a-Rod and Big Poppy are debuting for Hall of Fame um, eligibility, so they might screw up the opportunity for Schilling, Bonds, and, and Clemens. But Kurt Schilling said he wants to be removed from the ballot after this anyways. He's just pissed off with the with the voting crew and the way things are being handled. I don't really blame him, but if I had a chance to get in there, I wouldn't just say screw it. I would want to get in. Um, but that's just you know a sad way to talk about these guys' careers that they can't even get in and don't have a, a, a real good shot. These are some big names. For me as a child, you know, those are, I would say, some of the best people I've ever seen play the game, so it's a shame. Uh, but I just wish, you know, baseball's got these old-school written rules. It just doesn't make sense. That I wish they would change it. All right. Last but not least, Supercross. Quite a race it was to finish the third race in Houston. 
for those of you, I know that a lot of you guys don't tune in. I talked about uh, don't watch Supercross. I talked about um, me marking the the parts of the video so you guys know. But uh, hey, I want to try to sell you guys. I want to get you involved. I have friends involved in Supercross doing big things. Shout out Kyron, Colton, and Squad. I just really like enjoy watching them. It's a, it's a fun thing to watch. Um, these guys are young, talented. So check it out. It's on NBC Sports. Third race in Houston was very controversial. I'm a Ken Roxon fan. He had the race in the bag, probably like two and a half seconds, which is a pretty good distance ahead of Cooper Webb. And then he was lapping Dean Wilson, who is a pretty solid rider. And Dean Wilson got right in his way. Ken hit the back tire, almost fell down and gave Cooper Webb the finish in first. Webb keeps passing Roxon, passed him last time for a third or fourth place finish. Just seems to have Roxon's number. Super annoying if you're a Roxon fan, but hey, props to Webb. He's clearly uh, coming out on top of that uh, KTM ridership with Marvin Muscan, like I had mentioned. Might be a little, you know, mono a mono in-team competition to see who's KTM's guy, especially after the retirement of Tony Dungy. But hey, props to Webb for that. Sucks it for Ken Roxon. He got knocked points the week before for accidentally going out of bounds. They said it was like deliberate and purposeful that he went out of bounds and got back on the track. So they docked him points. So he actually didn't have the red uh, plate, which is the first. You get the red plate if you're first in the standings. Uh, even though he got second, he is first in the standings. We'll go over to that in the second. Within that race, Adam Sorensarulo got third. Uh, who is, you know, Team Kawasaki, but he trains very close with Ken Roxon, so it's kind of interesting to see a little cross-team uh, um, friendship there. Um, Justin Barsha got fourth, right? We talked about him not being a one-hit wonder so far. That's just what he's been doing. Um, the previous champ, Eli Tomac in fifth. Malcolm Stewart just consistently almost in the podium, got sixth. Adam Plessinger with a seventh-place finish. Justin Anderson, eighth. Matt Osborne, 9, and Brighton finishing it out with 10. With the standings, Ken Roxon now has the red point uh, plate, like I had said, by one point. Leaving Houston, he has a 60-point total. Webb and Barsha are tied for second with 59. Uh, Eli Tomac in fourth with 54. And then there's a four-way tie with 51 points. We got Justin Brighton, Malcolm Stewart, and Adam Serencerulo. So Tice racing going in the 450 class after that critical kind of, you know, annoying end to that race. It'll be interesting as they now do three races in Indianapolis uh, at the 250 class. <clears throat> you know, the top dogs are just performing. Colt Nichols took first. Um, Craig got second. Jet Lawrence third and Shimoda fourth. And these kids in the 250 class are literally just that. Jet Lawrence being 17. Shimoda, I think, 15, 16. And these guys are out here balling. Uh, Nichols and Craig tied for first with 70 points. Uh, Lawrence is in third with 64. My preseason prediction was Lawrence and Roxon Team Honda for the victory. So they're within striking distance. Ken Roxon does have first on the red plate as of now. And then Shimoda's in fourth with 56 total points. One of the guys that we expected, I think everybody did to, uh, you know, be top in standings. Austin Fortner, who has had an opportunity to win the 250 class before, is in eighth place with 40 points. So tough season for him. Uh, I mean, if we assume that, I'm sure it's got to be brutal on him as a rider. But two races this week. We got the race on Saturday, then again on Tuesday on NBC Sports Network. Also interesting article, NBC Sports Network shutting down after 2021. So, you know, sports like Supercross, some indie racing, 
some uh, speed racing. We're going to see where those sports go, what networks they go. There's rumors that NHL is going to be going on, I think it's like USA Network or TBS or something crazy. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. There'll be some programming changes for some of the non-mainstream sports. Uh, but interested to see that. Maybe it'll uh, improve the experience for the viewers. And last but not least, as we wrap up, don't forget we are sponsored by Fueled Supplements. I talked about the multivitamins, the Fueled Greens, the supplements that they have. They're launching and releasing some badass new products. We got one NMF, one nasty motherfucker stimulated pre-workout that they had just launched. It's a pre-workout that has a protein scooper as pre-workout. They also have some um, brand new reveals that we'll uh, talk more about next week. Uh, but super excited, guys. Business four in the bu- uh, business and buckets episode four in the books. We got episode five coming at you the same day release uh, for the first business episode that we'll be doing monthly pods on until I could get more interviews and pump them out more for you guys. But super excited uh, to talk DJ Akira and enjoy. Thanks.